Have you noticed that in our culture today that the word Christian can mean just about anything you want it to mean? I mean, you can believe almost anything and call yourself a Christian. I'm looking around and I'm seeing people who they deny the deity of Jesus. They deny the virgin birth of Jesus. They, they defy the, the, deny that Jesus is coming again or that he will judge sin or that there's a heaven or a hell. They defy all the, uh, deny all these things and still claim Christ. I mean, this word Christian has become so elastic as to mean this one-size-fits-all deal that ultimately doesn't mean much more than I think there's a God out there. And that, that's basically it. And so a growing number of Christians who call themselves Christians anyway, they don't even believe that salvation has to involve the cross of Christ. And the truth is you can believe just about anything you want to believe and you can feel good about whatever it is you believe. That is until you actually open up the Bible and read it. The Bible has a way of messing all of that up because true gospel Christianity isn't so much interested in relating to the world as it is saving people from the world, renewing the mind of the believer who's constantly being fed just a whole bucket of lies and then sending them, commissioning them back as a believer, as an ambassador to the world to make disciples. This is what the Bible does for us. And so can I tell you something? What I really need is to be provoked. Like in this world that tells me, hey, whatever you want to believe, that's good for you. I need to be provoked to believe what's actually true. And you know what? You do too. And in a world that tells you that, hey, whatever you believe, that's good for you. You, know, you really need to be provoked to know there is one objective truth and it's found in God's word. Uh, we don't need a church that is just comfortable. We don't need a church that's relevant or has really good music or dynamic preaching that makes us feel good. What we need is to be provoked. We need tension. I mean, this is what the Bible says. You go throughout the scriptures, we need to be provoked to live for someone other than ourselves, Hebrews 10. We, we need our minds renewed and transformed so that we don't just easily justify sin or sweep it under the rug, Romans 12. We need the Bible to act as a sword that cuts through all of the self-deception because we can often fool ourselves, Hebrews 4. We desperately need the accountability and the fellowship with other believers who passionately follow Jesus, Hebrews 10. We need continual committed exposure to the word of God, which tells us how to think rightly and tells us what's wrong and it tells us how to live and it tells us how to think and how to behave. Second Timothy three, basically we really need our whole world, our whole culture, our whole lives redefined by the author of truth. So these next few weeks, I want to take you through a very short letter where in about 25 sentences, Paul is going to stick his nose into just about every arena of life. So it's not a very politically correct letter because he's going to redefine all of these uh, life experiences in ways that go right against the way that our world would define them. He writes this letter 
to another church leader named Titus. And in this short letter, you just need to know, Paul, he's going to redefine spiritual maturity. He's going to redefine true leadership. He's going to redefine biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. He's going to redefine the home. He's going to redefine the workplace. He's going to redefine sexual purity. He's going to redefine the Christian testimony. And he's going to redefine what the true gospel really is. And boy, do we need all of that redefined, reclarified, restated in our culture today. So Paul, he writes three letters to two men who he has discipled, who he's led to Jesus and discipled to be pastor teachers or elder teaching elders themselves. And so these letters, they're often referred to as the pastoral epistles. Really, it's just kind of fancy language for letters to pastors. And that's where we get first and second Timothy and also Titus. Titus was written between first and second Timothy. And we're going to go ahead and get started in the book of Titus this morning, where Paul encourages his protege in the faith to take one small step at a time to Toward right thinking and right living, which is going to result in right leadership and right home life and right relations and right workplace. Really, it's what the gospel and the Christian testimony is all about. This morning, we'll get started in Titus 1, 1 through 4. And this is where Paul just kind of begins. And he just, it's, it's the introductory portion of the letter. But in it, Paul's going to say what he's really passionate about and what he wants Titus to be really passionate about. Let's go ahead and check this out together. Titus chapter 1, 1 through 4. He writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at that proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So this letter, it begins with the name of the writer, Paul. Now, in our days, when we begin a letter, an email, or something like this, we typically begin with the name of the recipient, whoever it is we're writing to. That's not how it was back in those days. The first thing off, you would write your name so they would know, okay, who's writing to me? This is from Paul. And so it begins, hey, Paul, hey, this is Paul. And so Paul is Latin for Paulus, okay? It's, uh, this name means small or little. He's been born a Roman citizen, and so this is his Gentile Roman name. At the same time, Paul had Jewish parents, and so he had a Hebrew name as well. And that Hebrew name was Saul. You can imagine that his Jewish parents were proud to name their boy after the first king of Israel. But Paul, in his ministry, once he comes into a relationship with Jesus, he's often going to use the more humble, the Gentile, the Roman name, Paul. Why? Well, it's just going to help him relate better to, to the Roman world, to the Gentile world that he's often ministering in. So often, Paul is going to use his Roman name. Now, by the time that Paul wrote to Titus, you understand, by this time, he is a seasoned veteran in ministry. He's older here. He's been a church planner. He's been a pastor teacher. He's been a theologian. He's been a disciple maker. He's been all these things. And 
At the same time, he's been through a lot. He'd survived years of misunderstanding, years of controversy, slander, betrayal. I mean, there were disciples who at one time thrilled him and he was excited about, only to see them walk away and turn their back and fail him. Friends, they'd come and they'd gone. Thriving churches that he had planted had later turned toward apostasy. Uh, Congregations who once looked to Paul for help now rejected his teaching and were going their own way and even questioning his integrity. In his success, Paul was accused of boasting and in prison, well, he was condemned to failure. No one knew better than Paul just how rewarding and how life-giving and how joy-filled ministry could be. And at the same time, no one knew better than Paul how difficult and frustrating and at times painful ministry could be. He had received the battle wounds over the years. He had the scars over the years that he would then turn around and be able to share. They would turn into his gifts to his spiritual son, Titus. Titus, he would need all the wisdom he could get from this veteran uh, pastor teacher as he led just to, uh, uh, in, in a very difficult part of the world in Crete and to stabilize these churches there. Crete, you need to understand, it was located in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It was the midway port between Africa and Europe. And so, As a result, it was really this cultural melting pot. I mean, during the days of Titus, Crete held up to one million citizens. Uh, These citizens, they had a certain reputation for deception. There was this common expression of the day that playing a Cretan with a Cretan, it simply meant that you deceived a trickster because deception, lying, just trying to get ahead, looking out for yourself, well, this was the way of Crete. This was, this was part of the way that the Cretans operated. It, it was a place that was known as a place of corruption and deception and dishonesty. It did not have a very good reputation. I mean, you talk about a mission field, you're talking about Crete. And at the same time, you talk about a need for wisdom for a young pastor to, to receive from a seasoned veteran. Uh, Crete was that place as well. So Paul begins his letter. And he begins by stating his name. Hey, I'm Paul. And then he says, I'm a slave of God. Now, I know the word that we read is servant, and the Bible often translates it servant, but it really is best translated slave. There's another Greek word for servant that kind of means if... uh, if you want to stop doing whatever it is you're, you're doing, you can. That you have this option to kind of opt out. But there's this word, doulos, and it's better translated slave because there's no opt out option with this word. It, mean, it means you've bought and paid for your own. This is who you are. This is your identity. You don't just get to stop being a, a child of God. You don't just stop being a servant of God because you are a slave of God. And so this wise, battle-scarred Christian leader, he's reminding Titus and now us that, hey, this is who you are. You, you don't get to just opt in or opt out. You don't just get to say, well, ministry is getting hard right now. Disciple making is kind of frustrating me right now. I, I think what I really need is just a season away. I'm just going to take some time off here. No, Paul's reminding Titus, and he's reminding us, this is who you are. You don't just get to do it when you choose or live this way when you want. No, this is who you are, and it defines 
everything. You, you don't just get to sign up when you want to and then back out. No, God, he, he owns you and he transforms your thinking and he transforms your passions. And in this introduction, Paul, he's writing to tell Titus, who's called to lead ministry in a very challenging environment, that, hey, this is who you are, and that never changes. And for us, we're called to minister, to make disciples, in an oftentimes challenging environment. And we don't just get to opt in or opt out of that. It's who we are. And so Paul says, knowing this about yourself, right? If, when you have this right understanding of who you are, here's what I'm really passionate about. And as he's saying what he's passionate about, he's really trying to transfer these passions to Titus. So Paul writes and he says that he's a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus for the sake of God's elect. So what he's telling Titus is, hey, what I'm really passionate about and what you ought to be really passionate about is God's church. Is that the church is really, really, really important. So you should be passionate about the faith of God's people. And you look at the life of Paul and, and you see one who gave his life, literally gave his life away for the establishment, for the building up, for the protection, for the development of God's church. And we can go back and we can read church history and we can read about brothers and sisters who literally risked their lives just to gather with the family of God, to gather with the church because they recognize their great need to be with brothers and sisters, to be with the family of God. So they would risk their lives to be there. You know, one of my fears for the church in America today is that we're often not so passionate. We, we don't have this desperate yearning to be with the church. And so the modern church attender, we tend to be more focused on maybe music style sometimes, or, hey, does they offer like these programs that would best fit our needs? Is, are we going to be comfortable here? Is, am I going to leave with a good feeling? That's not it. It, it is the church. It, it is the proclamation of God's word, the building up of the saints together. It's, it's you benefiting from my spiritual gift and me benefiting from yours. That This is what I want to be involved in. And so I want to be passionate about the church. And that's the beginning point here for Paul. And it's what he's trying to get across to his son in the faith, Titus, and now to us. And then he goes on because this relates to Paul's next passion. He writes that he was passionate about the church and about their knowledge of the truth. The, what he wanted for the church, for the gathering of the church, is for them to have this knowledge of the truth for brothers and sisters to come together, to gather together, and in a culture full of misinformation, a culture full of just a bucket of lies, he says, I want you to know what truth is. So you can know what truth is, and you can be prepared when you hear all these falsehoods, you can hear all these ideas coming from all these other places that you know that's not right, that you can easily recognize what is true and what is false, what is true and what are lies. And so is that your passion? I mean, is that my passion? We, we've got to ask that. Is it, is it our passion to know and to understand and to live according to the truth of Scripture? To the, see the substance of our understanding of God's objective truth being developed and more fully lived out in the way we live and go about life. Because this passion for Paul that he's imparting to Titus and now to us is to be passionate about knowing the truth. And this feeds right into his next passion, that this truth would promote godliness. 
Paul's been around the block. <laughs> he knows what ministry in, in Crete will be like for Titus. He knows that this is this cultural mel melting pot. You're going to hear a lot of descriptions about what truth is. That the Romans, they're going to come with their truth. And the Africans are going to come with their truth. And the Greeks are going to come with their truth. And everybody's going to have their truth. And it's all going to be mixed up. And then you're going to have these Cretans, you know, as it develops there. And here's the reputation of Crete that is full of lies and deception and whatever else. Why? Because everyone's peddling their truth. This is in the midst of all that. As people are defining truth for you, he says, you need to understand that if truth does not promote godly living, it's not truth. It's just a bucket of lies, a bucket of deception. Paul says that truth ultimately leads to God-likeness, to godliness. But you've got to be passionate about it. Why? Because otherwise this bucket of lies will just take over. Deception will just take over. And it, and it, will, it will be presented eloquently. It will be presented creatively. It will be presented in a way that will almost make you second guess sometimes and wonder, well, is that truth? I mean, is there some truth in what they're saying? Could this be right? And so Paul's saying, no, you need to be anchored in what is true. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways you know what truth is, is it promotes godliness. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons we did that is because it's really important to see what happens when people are not passionate about the truth, when they're just kind of passive and they take these passive attitudes toward the truth and toward God's words. I mean, if you're a parent out there, I just want you to know, you cannot parent passively in this culture. We saw it happen in the Old Testament. You see what happens all the time. If you think your child will grow up to love God and love others and be a disciple maker simply by seeing you or going to a church building with you once or twice a week, like the chances of that happening just are not very good. We see that throughout the scriptures. Why is it not very good? Because so much of their time is spent around the world. So much of their time is spent on the island of Creek, so to speak, with all these different people telling them, hey, this is what truth is. Truth can be whatever you want it to be. And, and so these definitions of truth are all being thrust upon them. And so the chances of them growing up when they're hearing all of this, if you just take a passive approach, it's not very good. Why? Because if you do not actively and continually tell your kids who they are, the world will. And the world always gets it wrong. And so this is why Paul is telling his son in the faith, Titus, this is who you are. This is what you believe. This is what you're committed to. This is what you're passionate about. And one of the things you're passionate about is truth. And how do you know what truth is? Because it promotes godliness. It promotes living and loving like God. And so if truth promotes materialism, if truth promotes self-centeredness, it isn't truth. If, if truth endorses or encourages or torn, turns a blind eye to sinful, destructive behavior, it isn't truth. If truth encourages greed or self-satisfaction, it isn't truth. If truth is generated or defined by sinful humanity, it isn't truth. If, if truth is dying to self, following Jesus, becoming more like him, giving your life away to make disciples, promoting godliness. Now you've hit on the definition of truth. This is what it is. This is what truth is. And that truth, here's the thing, that truth is life-giving. 
It's full of joy. It's full of hope. It's full of life. It is this abundant life. It's good. That is truth. So be passionate about promoting godliness. And so what is this truth? What is this real truth? Where where does it ultimately lead? And where it ultimately leads, well, that's the next passionate thing that Paul's writing about, this next passion that he has. And so he writes that the church would have this knowledge of truth that would promote godliness because that's what real truth does. And it does this in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages even began. Now, you see, what he's passionate about here is God's full and complete presence. Paul says, I'm passionate about this hope of eternal life for the church with God. Now, when we use this word hope, you know, we just kind of throw it around sometimes. And often, you know, we'll we'll say things like this. I hope it doesn't rain today. I, I hope I get a promotion at my job. I hope I get a raise. I hope the gas prices come down. I hope the Yankees win, and I hope the Red Sox lose. See, we use hope that way. But when Paul's using the word hope here, he has this entirely different quality about it. It has this quality of being assured because it's based on the promise of God. So this is an assured hope. It's a, it's, it's a confident expectation of a guarantee. And so why is this a guarantee? Because God, who never lies, made this promise even before the ages began. Now that's an incredible statement, isn't it? Let's just think about this together for a moment. Before time began, eternal life was promised by God. We tend to think that eternal life was promised from God, first made to you and me, to humanity. But Paul's saying something very different. He was saying that this promise began before time began, before humanity was. So it was a promise made between the the Trinity. It's God the Father making this promise to God the Son, who makes this promise to God the Spirit, who makes this promise back to God the Son and back to God the Father, where they're having this conversation. They're saying, you know what? When we make our creation and we create humanity, we want to put in it eternal life. That This is a quality of it. And so as the Trinity is de- uh, developing their creative plan for humanity, this was a promise that they made to one another. And it's why Peter, when he preached in Acts chapter 2, that he said that the crucifixion of Christ was part of the plan of God before time began. Why? Because the Trinity knew even before time began that for eternal life to be realized, there would need to be a just remedy because humanity was going to sin. And in order for God to be able to maintain his character and who he was, Well, there was going to have to be a remedy that satisfied God's justice and his wrath because of humanity's sin. And so for Paul, this causes him just seeing this and understanding this causes him this passion that he's passing along to Titus. That God's presence, eternal life, it's been there forever. And now he's passing along for us and this hope. It should should result in us, this hope for a fulfillment that was promised before the ages even began. This consummation of the plan of God, which brings us into his presence forever. And so that's the next passionate thing, right? That we need to be passionate about God's presence. 
That's an incredible message. And that brings us to Paul's next passion where he writes that this great promise is manifested in his word and he's been entrusted to preach the word. In other words, how are people going to know about this great promise that God has made unless someone preaches the word, unless someone tells them uh, about how you can experience the fullness and the presence of God, unless someone tells them about this eternal life and not just this emptiness of self-centered living. It's through the preaching of the word. And so Paul says, I am passionate about preaching the word because I've been entrusted this assignment that God's given me. This is what he's made me to do. And so he relates this passion to Titus in really the same way that he related it to Timothy, where he told Timothy the same thing, preach the word. And so, you know, we live in a day and age right now where preaching has kind of fallen on some hard times. I mean, you may hear a statement like, oh, don't preach at me. They're just preaching at you, things like this. And so that's resulted in this growing trend that we're seeing in a number of churches where pastors are tend to be referred to as speakers or communicators. Uh, sermons are often called talks or lectures or conversations. Uh, the, the word preacher is chosen in the scriptures by God because a preacher is a herald. A, a preacher is a proclaimer of someone else's message. That's what a herald does, proclaims someone else's message. And so Paul, he's telling Titus, and he's telling Timothy, and he was telling you and I that we have to stand up to a lot of false teachers. There's a lot of people out there who can eloquently and creatively spin their versions of truth, and you've got to stand up to all of that deception, to all those buckets of lies, and because a communicator can simply communicate his own opinion. Uh, a speaker can speak on whatever topic, whatever thought, that he or she desires. You know, you can come up with your own perspective. You can, you can say whatever you want. You can redefine whatever you want to redefine. You choose your own words. You originate your own message. But not a herald, not, not an expositor, not a preacher. And so Paul's saying, you must be passionate to proclaim my message. You know, I remember when I was at seminary, there's a big wooden pulpit there, and on it it said, preach the word. And the motto of the seminary was, teach the truth and love well. And this comes right out of Paul's passions here that we see. That yes, that people need to know truth, and you need to love them well. And so this is what he's instilling into Titus, and it's what he's instilling into us today. Paul says the proclamation of this message, it's not up for grabs. It's not a suggestion. You know, God didn't say, hey, Paul, it might be a good idea if you preached the word, but you know, you can speak on whatever you want to. This is not what Paul is passing along to Titus. He said, no, I've been entrusted. It's a command. God has commanded me. Preach the word. He's commanded you. As a slave of God, this is what you do. You preach the word. There's not another message. You don't have like an alternative to deliver. And so we, as slaves of God, we obey the command. We preach the word. And by the way, we all have someone to preach to. I mean, maybe you don't have a stage like this or a pulpit or something, but you have people in your life who your job is to herald the truth of God's word to them, to proclaim the truth of God's word to them. That's what preaching is. It's just communicating the truth of God's word, his message to someone else. 
And we're all called to do that. And we're all to be passionate about that, be passionate about preaching the word. And then Paul concludes his opening by saying, hey, I'm writing all this to Titus, my son, my true child of the faith. What he's saying is, I want all of these God-given passions to be your passions. This is in a world of, full of lies and deceptions, Titus. You need to know who you are. Make no mistake about it. You are God's. You don't just get to opt in or opt out of that. This is who you are. You've been bought and paid for. And so knowing who you are, then this is how you are to live. I want you to know what really matters, and I want you to proclaim it well. So in a world where Christianity, this term Christian, has been co-opted to mean a whole variety of things, what I want you to really understand well is who you are, to know what really matters, to be passionate about what really matters, and to communicate that well. And maybe you feel, oh man, that's, that's too much for me to get to. As Paul will show Titus, it's one small step at a time toward right thinking and right living. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in a world full of lies, full of deception, that we can know truth. And that God, real truth promotes godliness because you're the author of truth. And God, when we walk in that truth and live what is objectively true, God, you give us life, you give us joy, you give us hope. So God, help us to proclaim that well. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus. Amen.